horizontal. Right. Horizontal. Yes, we control the control vertical. vertical. We control, we control our, our pants. pants. That sounds satirical. <laughs> no, no, they're just uh, uh, cotton polyester. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. And I'm Jennifer. Uh, and we are here for the second of our World's Going to Hell in a Handcart, so we are going to watch some Daft Shit series. Um, this evening is Chris's splendid choice. Uh, mm. We have watched Young Frankenstein, the classic it be. Yeah. Um, so, before we get into that, uh, Chris, have you watched anything horror since last week? Yep, so following on from the first episode of Eli Roth's History of Horror, um, I'm now on to Slashers, which is my least liked, I would think, probably least. Now, of course, we have watched a couple of Slashers. Yeah. Um, Halloween 3, although that's got a lot of supernatural aspects, which is... Uh, comes into slashers and perhaps makes them more interesting. Yeah, I th it's it's a weird one because it's actually because it's obviously part of the Halloween franchise, which is a slasher franchise. But yeah, Halloween three doesn't really follow much of that in a as much of that pattern really. Okay. Much in the same way as it doesn't follow much of Halloween, <laughs> the rest of the, the rest of the okay. Halloween films. So the other slasher we watched was the Freddy, uh, not Freddy, Jason. Yeah, yeah, we watched Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th, that's yeah. it. Um, now that so that was a slasher, yes, full on, yeah. But does he have some supernatural aspects to him? I suppose he does, really. He's dead and he's come back from the dead in the original series. Yeah, he is a bit of a zombie because he's unkillable and they kill him at the mm. end of everyone. And at the end of like, at one point he's left in the grave for a long time. And in seven, he's left chained up underwater for like a year or that's something. That's right, yeah. That's um, the one I remember. That's definitely a supernatural element involved there. Mm. Yeah. So, so what do you think? What would you say is the archetypal slasher? For me, if you're looking for a slasher series, yeah, I think Halloween is the one. Although he's got, uh, for the listeners, Adam has a pigeon, then he keeps popping it up onto the screen and oh, pretending yeah. that he hasn't noticed it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what you're talking about, mate. <laughs> um, yeah, I think series-wise, that's probably the slasher for me that's the least kind of supernatural in the earlier ones. Okay. Um, what would you say about Psycho? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's there's individual slasher films which are far more... There's The Pigeon, which are far more... Uh, catch the Pigeon, Catch the Pigeon. <laughs> um, it's too fast for me. <laughs> yeah, that are far more slashery, as it were, and stick very much to that, that typical style, mm. uh, like the first and second ones do, really. Um, but... Yeah, I think if you're going for a full-on franchise, Halloween is the is the is the big one without the supernatural element that creeps more into into Friday. Mind yeah. you, even again, again with that, because I mean, like the first, and obviously now there's the Halloween from 2018, which was basically 
this is the sequel to the very first Halloween and all the others don't exist. Mm. So there is now, it's kind of rescinded its supernatural yeah. thing, but it did go off into supernatural elements and stuff. And in the first film, he does get shot a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an awful lot. An awful lot, you know. Um, oh, I would... what, what? oh, sorry. I was going to say, I think, I think, yeah, it's it's a toss up between Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth as the as kind of like the 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 sort of brand. Which like, if you want to slash a brand, it's one of those. Uh, and, Halloween, I believe, was first. Yeah, Halloween seventy eight, and I think I might be wrong, but I th- no, I think Halloween's yeah, I think Halloween seventy seven. And I th- possibly eighty or seventy nine for the first Friday. Halloween is seventy eight, mm. and Friday is a different film entirely. Yeah, Friday the thirteenth, nineteen eighty. So ah, right, yeah. So, so they're so, they're very close together. Yeah, yeah. And what do you think? Um, aside from extremely brutal killings, which is what you expect from a slasher. Um, something that's perhaps uh, you you would think of is uh, it, like over the top screaming. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah. so it's funny because I've never really everywhere. thought about that before. But you probably don't have that in that many other styles of film that often, particularly. Mm, lots of horror films, you do. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I it was funny. Jamie Lee Curtis said. As soon as the camera's rolling and they said right action, she had to scream. She's like, I've never screamed before. <laughs> when do you scream in normal normal life? You know. So, yeah. And I guess she hadn't you know, needed to practice it in a film school very much. <laughs> so, I bet they do now. I bet it's a whole day. Well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, you can imagine early on there may not have been that much of that. It, it is a weird one to just suddenly be dug out on I'd imagine much in the because most of the other things that they'll ask you to do you will have probably experienced yeah but yeah also I think it's you know unless you're Ned Flanders screaming at the beautiful drapes you know it probably isn't something that you do every every day or if you are doing that you probably want to ask yourself some questions about your lifestyle choice (laughs) (laughs) you know Never, never mind the Hollywood career. Who do I need? I need to get some people out of my life, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> well, spiders, they make me scream. Roller coasters, but yeah. Generally, yeah. not an everyday I, mean, I can safely say, I, I don't think I've ever screamed in my life. It's probably less likely for a man to scream than a woman. Like equally, a I can't say I've ever heard a yeah. woman scream in real life. You've made me scream with spiders and sharks. No, that's quite. Uh, that's not like you, a. Yeah, perhaps you don't scream in a memorable enough way. Ah, uh, see. <laughs> yeah, practice school. That was. The yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> um, um, and then the other thing I thought was interesting. It reminded me of Child's Play because I didn't watch a huge amount of horror when I was younger. You know, as we've determined, and <laughs> but yeah, Child's Play was one that I really got into. And I'm not sure why, I suppose, being younger, there's something about the actual puppet mm. being used, perhaps, that worked. But that, along with Gremlins as well, um, 
but yeah, I suppose we sort of found Charles play quite funny, although it's it's a bit worse, I would say, than Gremlins. Um, but that seemed to die off a bit. In Charles play, it got progressively worse. Mm. I, mm. I, like, I only saw the first one or two. Yeah, it was Charles play three that really got uh, part of like a second wave of video nasty outcry. Mm. Mm. I think the later ones, though, followed that thing of it realised that it was a dumb concept and mm. totally embraced it. And then you start getting brighter Chucky and, like, you know, the really over-the-top, where it became more of a kind of slasher comedy. Yeah. Uh, okay. but, but to be fair, that you were saying about the tropes of slasher films, Chris. Um, mm. I think that's one of the things for me, despite the fact, in theory, when you look at them compared to a, a supernatural horror... They seem a lot more uh, visceral and sort of extreme. But there's something about them that's a lot more tongue-in-cheek for me. Like, if you've got friends over, you wouldn't put on... And you're sitting around drinking beer and having a laugh. You wouldn't put on, like, a supernatural horror film as quick as you would put on a dumb slasher because you know it's got Mm -hmm. silly tropes, the -the over-the-top characters, there's loads of boobs, and there's there's lots of other elements that have to be part of a slasher. yeah, that I always find give it makes it a more fun social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which is <laughs> which is kind of how Scream worked mm. by deconstructing the because sl- specifically, really, the slasher is what the Scream film, or certainly the first one, was looking at mm. more so than you know it wasn't ghost stories or stuff like that. But I mean, even down to the fact, I mean, let's face it, you're not going to put on Midsummer and just sit around and have a laugh and get pissed. So, <laughs> no. you, you are, but you, but you would possibly, I mean, Maniac. I love that film. Oh, the original. That is, yeah. We had, you, you, me, Dave, man, my brother, yep. when my brother was house sitting for my parents, I remember us getting a crate of beer in a bottle of absinthe and getting that movie on and, yeah. and making an afternoon of it. Well, we made an afternoon of it, and we we actually, I think we'd got so into it that we then watched the trailers and then the international trailers. Yeah. (laughs) Which is why we became obsessed with Hugo, the Blutigen Algen, which is the German title of Maniac. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Maniac. And, yeah, that was, that was, yeah, I mean, obviously we had Dave's commentary as well, which was just, you know... It's very difficult to take any film seriously when someone is beside you going, ah, he blew his head off. <laughs> <laughs> and, again, and that is, the sl- as I say, that's why mm. the slasher film is great. You do sit with your friends and cheer at the um, uh, at the kills and stuff. I mean, when you and I had and went to the all-nighter, the John Carpenter one, yeah, uh, the crowd, uh, they were mental for big trouble, obviously, as they would be. Um, they were generally quiet for uh, the fog and, yeah. you know, the more... But Halloween, was it like there was people shouting stuff through Halloween and everyone was having a big laugh and a, a whole bit... almost like a sing-along where there certain bits where you had to do, you know... Yeah, <laughs> you had to do the action. <laughs> That's and, it. Every time Curiously enough, I think that was... Cheered. That was Escape from New York that became the, the sing-along one because everyone, everyone was doing all the quotes from that one. Yeah. Um, I love the shows. Yeah, <laughs> but then that was a, that was a that was a great evening anyway. Curiously yeah. enough, even though it's it's it is a slasher film, I really do think that Nightmare on Elm Street 
surpasses that and becomes something entirely different? Elm Street has always been my favourite. I've had an obsession with, I don't know if I mentioned it on the show before or not, but when I was a kid of maybe 10-ish to 13, I literally yeah. had two of the walls in my bedroom were just Freddy Krueger posters. I hadn't seen a single film because my parents were very um, kind of sen- sensible or boring. I was, was going to say, yeah. yeah. Um, about what they'd let me see. So I hadn't seen any of them, but I was obsessed with the character and with the story. Mm. Um, that's definitely something that I can't believe we're like 80 episodes in and we haven't seen. <laughs> Maybe... That might have to go on the list for after my dumb film. Can I choose? To yeah. Film, or is that? No. Well, I think I, I don't. I don't see that as a problem because, again, I think it's and certainly it's one of the things where um, uh, we watched. Uh, what was it? We watched Hellraiser, but I know Claire uh, tends to watch the films with me, mm. and she feels that she's not seen any. She's seen horror icons in the sense of say actors. Mm but not horror icons, which is really an 80s phenomenon of the actual characters. Yeah. And the nearest to that has been Hellraiser with Pinhead. Yeah. And as we discussed on that, really, he is not, he's certainly not the main show Hmm. of that first one. So he was something that the public took to their hearts rather than, you know, was, was originally designed as the main protagonist. Yeah. That was one of the things they said about slashes is that's where, um, it became like the bad guy was the main person in it. You know, that's who you were following through generally. Without a doubt. That was what carried on from film to film to film was yeah. the, the evil presence. And you're almost rooting for that. You're like, you're not generally <laughs> yeah. against them, you know. Maybe yeah. You don't like the kids that. Yeah, well, exactly. They're yeah, that's it. They're, they're the killable ones. And yeah. Whereas Supernatural, normally there's like a good guy who's trying to and stop whatever magic is going on I suppose in the mechanics of the whole situation they're the only ones who can come back because they've killed everyone else yeah Yeah. (laughs) you know there's there's usually a final girl or you know Mm. one last person standing usually a female usually a a final girl Mm. but other than that yeah the only you know they're the only person who could come back Mm. for the continuing saga yeah. Although I do, like I said, I think it's an interesting thing that happened with the Ring sequels, where they started putting in, like, so they actually put in another haunting that was separate to the to the Ring, because there is something about that where you could say, well, if you know, if something like if if Freddy Krueger can occur, well, mm. I suppose they did it with Freddy versus Jason. Yeah, you no, know they they do marry up the two worlds. Yeah, now that is a stonking film. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that, and I know Chris has seen that because when I set up my um, projector for the first time and we had the evening of watching films around here when it was initially set up, I know that we watched that as one of the first things we saw on the big screen. Yeah, um, yeah, because I was so gutted I didn't see it at the cinema because I was convinced it was going to be a turd. Mm. Well, yeah, there you go. So wrong. So long. Um, yeah, so has this made you want to see more slasher films, Chris, or does it make so, you feel they're a bit yeah, formulaic well, and not? No, it does. It definitely is having the effect. I, I think seeing behind the scenes and hearing from the different people involved really does help me to, 
to sort of see an affinity with the films. So where I would naturally not like them for, for the obvious reason of, you know, brutal killings just aren't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, you just see a bit more. And so I think, yeah, watching this whole series will be really good. Mm. I think when you appreciate all the kind of the makeup and the whole, you know, what's gone into the blood splatter all mm. the yeah. it, you do, you suddenly look at it slightly. appreciate it. Oh, they just killed someone. Oh. But mm. yeah, definitely. Um, if anyone is interested in that, um, uh, not to cut into your what you've been watching, Chris, but just very quickly, um, my brother, previous guest Dean, did turn me on to Casualty Friday uh, podcast, which is Kane Hodder, who later played oh, yeah. uh, Jason Voorhees, um and uh felicia rose who felicia was in uh sleepaway camp mm. which is a slasher film uh and tiffany Sheppis, who was in a lot of the trauma movies um and it's their podcast of them talking about what it's like behind the scenes of these films and a lot of them that they worked on together were slashers mm. um and they're really charismatic and really fun. i don't know why I think because of his character, and whenever you see photographs of him at conventions and stuff, I didn't think Kane Hodder was going to be as nice a guy as he he really Mm. is. Because he's a great big hulking scary bastard. He Um, is an intimidating presence, but also apparently a really nice bloke. Yeah, Yeah. oh yeah, he's he's fantastic. But it's funny because he said even, even on set, before he goes on, he doesn't talk to people. When he goes and stands in a corner, and shouts and headbutts things and punches himself in the face and stuff. But he said it's partly to get into character and partly because it amuses him to see mm-hmm. how that intimidates everybody else on mm-hmm. set and gives <laughs> them more fear when they're... Well, it probably helps them to get into on, character yeah. as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, those little glimpses behind the scenes, as you say, just give it that much more... Mm. Uh, make you realise just how, how much they, these people love these films as well and kind of gives you more of a love for them and realises that the people making them are, are actually just having fun and, and aren't taking it too seriously. And, and therefore it has got more of a, a soft tongue in cheek feel, which yeah, mm. softens the blow a bit really. Yeah. They're, 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 it's a good group of people as well because there's, they're, they're not, I mean, they're famous within horror, but they're not superstars sort of, no. you know, they're, they're not sort of big names, just full stop. And also, they've been in it. They will all collectively have been in enough great and poor films to have some good stories and to have some good stuff to tell. I would imagine. Oh yeah, they do. They give a lot of dirt of uh, as to who is and who isn't a dick in uh, Hollywood. But nice. Particularly Kane Hodder, because although he's obviously big, we know him for doing uh, Hatchet and Friday the Thirteenth and a lot of those movies. He did do a lot of stunt work with big celebrities, like he's done some Steven Seagal movies and stuff. Um, yeah, and although he's kind of careful about naming names, you know who he's talking about when he says someone's a total asshole. And uh, yeah, it's it's quite nice to get their, their yeah. insider knowledge on who's a real jerk and who is <laughs> more like them and is just there to have a laugh for 30 days and, you know do the best they can and collect a paycheck without being an absolute dickbag about it, really. Yeah. Um, so, Chris, have you seen what is the next one in your series? 
Uh, well, so Slashers Part 2. Oh, oh wait, there's, there's two parts on Slashers. There's an awful lot of there's them out there. There's lots of parts in Slashers. Yeah. 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 It is a comedy slasher, and it is poking Ooh. fun at those slasher movies. Mm. So hopefully it'll give you a bit more love for that. I'm still yeah, slightly wary about doing it, because Jennifer still thinks it's a terrible idea. But What is it? I forgot. Um, Dude Bro Massacre 3. Oh, well, only because the name just makes you think, really? Well, yeah, that's the point. It's yeah. like, um, but mm. just to give you some insight, Adam, if I was going to do that film as a double bill, I would do it yep. with Money Hustlers. I'm sold there. That tells me the level it's at. <laughs> Incidentally, Kane Hodder is a juggalo. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he's got a hatchet man tattoo. I mean, I don't know. I mean, certainly I remember back in the day, he was like, they were always saying about he's got a hatchet man tattoos and stuff like that. Nice. So, yeah. <laughs> Nicely linked in. Um, Adam, what have you been watching in the world of horror in the last seven years? Uh, well, I've... It's weird. I've sort of watched. I've watched two uh, Japanese films, mm-hmm. um, quite opposite ends of the spectrum. Both good. Um, I watched House or oh, Houseu, yes. um, which I am going to earmark. We should cover mm-hmm. because I just want to hear what you two think of it. Mm-hmm. Because I definitely it, want to see it, but I want to watch it with you. Yeah, it's it's fucking mental, <laughs> like genuinely. But it's the the weirdest that the best way I can describe it is it feels like it feels like a movie made by someone who doesn't know what they're doing, but who clearly knows exactly what they're doing. <laughs> So, you know, there's lots of things in there which would normally go under the the banner of bad filmmaking or, you know, things you wouldn't do. But there is not that you are under no illusion as to what, you know, what the purpose is. And it's possibly the nearest I've seen to like a live action cartoon or um, like a, a more sort of frantic sort of anime. It feels like, you know, you know, when you watch anime and there is a lot of fast cutting and sort of close ups and bits and then just yeah. weird, mad action and yeah, stuff that you're like, what the fuck? And so on and so forth. That's basically what it's like. But you get, and yeah, I mean, I'm not going to, I won't go into it too much because I think we, sh- I do think we should cover it. Um, but oh my God. It, but it's, it's just so good so clever and so stupid at the same time um but basically yeah seven girls uh go to one of the basically uh starts off in high school and it's very it feels very much like one of those sort of uh sort of high school animes where it's just lots of giggling schoolgirls talking to each other about a teacher they fancy and everything and they go off to one of their aunt's house for the summer break uh, and as I say, there's seven of them. All of them, likes, like a really cheap action movie, all of them have the names of one characteristic, and that's how they're summed up. So you've got Prof, who's got glasses and reads books. You've got Kung Fu, 
who does kung fu and nice. so on and so forth. melody who plays musical instruments that's the, mm. but literally that's that's the level of personality just some trillions given. and then it turns into a horror <laughs> yeah but but it's like so it starts off like that and then it's kind of like evil dead 2 in that it just they go to this house and basically the house eats them but there's just tons of goo everywhere some of the weirdest bloody mental stuff you will see at one point someone gets eaten by a light infitment and they manage to fight their way out of the light infitment but only their bottom half so they can still do uh, is you know spoiler alert kung fu gets eaten by a a light infitment but her bottom half comes out and she can still do like kung fu kicks and help in the battle even though there's only half of her it's amazing. Oh, mate! And but also, it's the it's that weird thing where the effects are, to a greater or lesser extent, purposefully bad. You know how I don't know, say, like the Mighty Boosh, mm. where it has that sort of very homemade sort of feeling. Mm, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of that to it, but again, it kind of heightens the oddness. So while it is sort of funny and wacky and just all over the shop, the weirdness gets heightened by the cheapness of the effects or the weirdness of the effects and stuff. And yeah, um, definitely, definitely one we should cover. And it's also, I think it's an hour and 20 minutes. So it's quite nice to have an absolutely bizarre movie that doesn't just, that gets on with it. Nice. And you know, you're not mm. sitting there sort of like, Sort of, yeah, well, this is this is well and good, but it is tiring at two hours or whatever like that, you know. So it 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 fits its it fits its remit quite nicely, um, and uh, so yeah, so that's house, and then and also some of the music is uh, Godiego, who are the band who did the soundtrack to Monkey, oh, uh, like oh, Ma- Monkey Magic. So yeah, so mm-hmm. again. Yeah, and again, it's in that sort of that sort of yeah. level of effects and sort of strangeness and freneticness. Is it kind of has that sort of feel to it? Yeah. Uh, and then almost like going from punk to prog, I then watched Quide, uh, Quiden, which is a Japanese uh, house. I think is the eighties, but um, Quiden is from the mid sixties, yeah. and it is. It's uh, an anthology film, um, and but it's four stories, but it is nearly three hours long, um, wow. which which you know allows for a lot of breathing space, a lot of, and it just sort of it's odd because it kind of just builds quiet levels of unease. I don't know if it's scary because apparently Quiden is a corruption of the Japanese word for ghost story. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of more its point is just the idea of putting the supernatural into uh, sort of, you know, how, how it works in terms of like Japanese folklore and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But Christ on a bike, it looks amazing. Mm-hmm. It's all done in the studio, but it looks so damn good. It's like, you know, you just think they must have just poured money on it. Because nice. every every single shot looks like a painting. It's just really, really, really nice. Um, and again, it's that thing that does seem to be a, a characteristic of Japanese fl- folklore and Japanese horror. 
again, the stories are fucking mental. <laughs> you know, in in their own, in a very slow paced and sort of, you know, much gentler than Hal's, uh, than how Halzu is. Um, but they're still odd. Hmm. Um, you know, possessed hair. Um, <laughs> and I mean, just just to give you an example, one of the stories is about a a blind man, uh, a blind monk who is called unbeknownst to him by the spirits of an old battle to go and regale the story of the old battle to them. They find the rest of the monastery find out what's been happening. So they paint a, um, a prayer all over him to protect him and it will make him invisible to the ghosts. So they can't come back and get him. Hmm. They don't write anything on his ears. So the ghost can see his ears (laughs) and they rip his ears off and take them with them. Interesting, and it's again just just sort of yeah. (laughs) Tattoo your ears. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 the lesson. Make sure it's written on your ears. I mean, the thing is, the fact his ears are hanging out implies to me that everything else has been written on. Well, yeah. For the best, you you know, everything everything Mm. else is obviously clearly patterned because I mean, otherwise he could have been far worse than his ear holes. (laughs) Surely, if you've written on your head, that links to your ear. So who's to say that you know? Well, well and the other bits. Well, Damon's a different organ. Yeah, they just they just didn't think of it. I think it may maybe maybe because obviously they were using like the sort of flat ink brush uh, that was common, uh, like uh, sharpie. Common, yeah. But no, I just wondered if he was like, <laughs> get off, tickling around his <laughs> get off, oh, that's funny. <laughs> no, thank you, laugh. Oh, that feels strange. And uh, so they just they just give up. <laughs> yeah. I just thought sod it and have his ears ripped off. <laughs> you, you keep messing around and I'm going to raise what I've written on your bollocks as well, mate. <laughs> take them home with them. So. But yeah, so it was a sort of a, a weird, a weird combo of, uh, I mean, house is definitely a new favorite of mine. It's just so potty. Um, but Quiden's a good, yeah, good slow burn sort of unusual one. But like I say, Bit of a stretch at three hours, mm. especially because you... <laughs> I was, I was just going to say because I mean w- you know we've got anth- we've seen anthology films that manage to do four, even five stories in an hour and a half, mm. and this one does four over three hours. That's practically you know, mm. so they're all practically like forty-five minutes, fifty minutes a piece. So. Probably a good mm. lockdown one though, where you know you've got mm. to really. yeah. all that time we're saving on travelling <laughs> from work. That's true. <laughs> um, so uh, I've watched absolutely piss all horror wise. Um, so that's a quick segment. That is. Uh... <laughs> but I have rewatched Adam uh, for Christmas about ten years ago. Bought myself and Lady Jennifer all of the Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, a complete sixteen disc box set. Pigeon. Um, <laughs> in a complete 16 disc uh, box set and we have just finished it for the third time in a decade so uh, yeah it, that, that that last one is it the end is it the the cardboard box is the very last one isn't it that is a strange one that it ends out on because it's kind of you know usually with that sort of thing you think you'd sort of round it off or i mean obviously they weren't to know that jeremy brett was gonna die hmm. but you sort of usually things get rounded off quite sort of you know, in a celebratory manner. And that last one's just like, 
dark. Yeah, it is really dark. Uh, Chris is going all challenge Annika. He's on his phone. Look, nobody knows that, though. You could be quiet. And... Quick, 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 quick. Right, if you won't let me go to the toilet without mentioning it, I'm not going to let me mention it. I think I think he might be um, going to the toilet. That's the trouble. <laughs> um, I remembered that I had beer in the freezer, <laughs> and that that would <laughs> that would end badly if if I left it in for much longer. In, in fairness, that wasn't a that wasn't a emergency. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You don't have to spend. I'm, I'm forgiven. Chiselling that out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we shall head on to the main event for this evening. Um. This film, I seem to remember. I've seen this is probably a third or fourth time I've seen it, and for some reason, I'm sure the last time I watched it, I wasn't a massive fan. And I don't know what the hell happened there because it was absolutely amazing. Um, so before I say any more, Chris, what did you make of your choice, Young Frankenstein? Yeah. So, so Adam had made me think. Oh, we could watch a, a comedy horror. Mm. Let me just read out the quotes that stuck in my head. <laughs> All my felt. I'll tell you what, what it makes me think of. So, from the very first day when filthy bits of slime crawled out of the sea and called to the stars, I am man. Our greatest dread has always been the knowledge of our mortality. But tonight we will hurl a gauntlet of science into the frightful face of death itself. Tonight we shall ascend into the heavens, we shall mock the earthquake, we shall command the thunders, and penetrate the very womb of impervious nature herself. And also, wow, what knockers. What knockers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so, the two levels of the film. Yeah, yeah and, and that's what I was really impressed with. It, it wasn't as funny, it wasn't loads of jokes as I was expecting from some of the other Mel Brooks films that I've seen. Mm. But, yeah, I really liked the fact that it did have arguably quite serious um, sort of horror ideas or, or you know, uh, like even some good aspects of that. So, yeah, I really liked the way they did both. And, uh, yeah, it was... If you watch this film without the sound with the exception of Marty Feldman's continuously breaking the fourth wall, <laughs> could absolutely believe that it is a full-on... It's a normal Frankenstein yeah. sort of um, yeah, rendition. It look absolutely identical. There's yeah. no difference in appearance to this and the original 30s ones. I mean, it's staggering yeah. how, how good they made it look. Yeah, they put in lots of effort, definitely. And because So we watched... Um, it was Bride of Frankenstein, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Um, and what was interesting, that that was funnier than I'd expected it to be. And so almost, there wasn't that much, you know, in, in difference to some degree. I, I guess it's a different type of comedy, um, the, the sort of satire you get in this. But still, yeah, it was, it was very interesting. So, so better in, in a different way than I was expecting. Excellent. So I think, um, I, I know what you mean. I think Bride is definitely the funnier, the, the, mm. is the funny, like, of the straight Frankenstein, yeah. that's the funny one. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, I mean, from what I gather, because obviously um, 
I mean, this is something, this is the first thing that stood out to me when I was looking into this. Uh, I never realised this comes out the same year as Blazing Saddles. Oh, is it really? Yeah. Mm. So, you know, you knock out those two in the same fucking year. It's quite an impressive achievement. And what, and it also goes to prove, you know, I mean, nowadays where it's sort of things get sort of developed to death and they're sort of, oh, we're doing this and it's going to come out next year or whatever like that. Gene Wilder, uh, Gene Wilder co-wrote Young Frankenstein mm. uh-huh. and he discussed it with Mel Brooks on the set of um, Blazing Saddles. Oh, and he said, and turnaround is so that is how quick the turnaround is on it, really. <laughs> and he actually said, because he said to, um, I found just by chance, it's been, it's been a weird week for it. Um, just by chance on Instagram, someone had posted uh, an interview with Mel Brooks on Johnny Carson. And he talked about, uh, talked about, because it, it, it was a promo for, it was during the promo for Young Frankenstein. and. Um, yeah, he basically said that while they were sort of talking while making Blazing Saddles, he said, "Oh, I want to do, I want to do another Frankenstein movie." And Mel Brooks's reaction was, "Well, why, why would you want to do that? They've done Bride, they've done Son of, they've done Louis Frankenstein. What is, why would you want another one?" <laughs> and um, but yeah, so and I think there's almost an element of wanting to. Although you're, although it's taking the piss, it could be a continuation of the saga. Because I mean, let's face it, it it, it gets progressively dafter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When when you get to like Frankenstein uh, versus the werewolf, uh, or whatever, it, I can't remember. Is it, is it Frankenstein? Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, or yeah, I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so that, and so I think they were sort of like it was kind of like well, if if it got progressively absurd, why not, you know, do this one and have it as the grandson of Frankenstein because you've obviously had son of Frankenstein, which yeah. I have to say that is the one thing that I wish I wish you'd seen before this, Chris, mm. is because there's a couple of elements from Young Frankenstein that are. Uh, from uh, Son of Frankenstein that are in this. Yeah. Uh, most importantly, the uh, chief of police with a me- with a mechanical arm, like with a mm. false arm. He said that he was in the sort of real one, didn't he? Yeah. 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 And he does the thing of he and they play darts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's you know, like, as in the thing. His arm. <laughs> yeah. Which was actually something John Landis said that him him and his brother used to get like cardboard. The cardboard tubes from toilet rolls and stick them up their sleeves so they could recreate that character um, from Son of Frankenstein. But it, but again, it's taking, it sort of feels like you've gone through and gone, well, that is absolutely absurd. We need to keep, we, we'll keep that in mm-hmm. or we'll put that in. And actually, I think, I remember when me and you were watching Son of Frankenstein a long time ago, Lee, but we were pissing ourselves laughing because it's the bit, you know, when, when he turns up and he says, well, we've got to act normal hmm. and his collar springs out and he's just being over the, that actually happens in Son of Frankenstein because he's sort of like, uh, it's Basil Rathbone saying, oh, we've got to be quite normal. 
and then he's playing darts like a fucking madman. Yeah, he's throwing them like baseballs, like full on, yeah. lined up over the shoulder. Like it's more ludicrous than it was in this almost. Yeah, yeah. and he's and he's like hairs all over the place and everything else like that. And it's like you know, in terms of textbook, not trying to let onto the police that anything's going on, <laughs> it's a pretty poor show. But yeah, so I think that's where it that's where it stemmed from was really so I mean but like I say these two in one year is mm. fucking phenomenal for, for such films uh, to be as solid as they are that we're still talking about and you know mm. 50 years on as, as as staples really of of comedy um, yeah. yeah I mean that's a massive achievement yeah um, but apparently I mean Again, uh, the one thing that I always think, like Blazing Saddles, it's either High Anxiety or Blazing Saddles for me that my favourite Mel Brooks film. And I sort of think I really do like Young Frankenstein. Um, but one of the things that's missing for me is the fact that it doesn't have Mel Brooks in it. Yeah. Mm. Which is unusual for a Mel Brooks film. Um, but apparently that was also part of the deal with Gene Wilder. Is like Mel Brooks said, yeah, I'm, this, this script's good. You know, I'll, I'll write it with you. Or like the concept's good and I'll write it with you and I'll direct it. And Gene Wilder said, right, yeah, but on one condition that you're not in it. <laughs> Be- because Gene Wilder said that even without meaning to, Mel Brooks kind of breaks the fourth wall just by yeah. his presence. Yeah, definitely. And he mm. said that, bec- and again, I think it's that thing of wanting it to See, that works be quite in... faithful. Yeah. Yeah, I think I would say that's a that was a good call. It's, I think it was, but yeah, it is. But it's funny that they still have Marty Feldman, who does the majority of his lines. He delivers straight to camera, which yeah. Mm. You think he just didn't want Mel Brooks in because Gene Wilder wanted to be? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, I was I was going to say like because I like Gene Wilder mostly from um, Willy, Wonka. Willy Wonka. Yeah, and he is quite unique in his style, he does such dramatic while also doing sort of his comedic deliveries sort mm. of over the top. Like he, he hangs on just a bit longer for his sort of responses, you know? And so, the, yeah, there's something very, I think, unique about him. And I, it made me think I should watch more of his films. But do, does this mean then that he's not that nice? No, I think Gene Wilder was a very nice man. But I think yeah. he just, yeah. Oh, here, no evil, see, no evil. Oh, could be. I remember that one just watching over and over again because it was hilarious. The one to watch, Chris, if you want something similar that's still in the horror vein, Mm. Honeymoon is one of my absolute favourites. It's not far under clue um, Mm. for if I want to watch some daft comedy and I want to switch my brain off. Um, And actually, I didn't realise this Haunted Honeymoon is written and directed by Gene Wilder. Yes, yeah. And it's a fantastic film. It's, yeah. It's, it's the same sort of comedy as this. Um, and again, it's, it is that horror. He goes to a house and the intention is to scare him as much as possible. And there is potentially a werewolf. Um, there's Dom DeLuise in drag for no reason yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> Doesn't need to happen. Can't quite work. I still can't work out if it's part of the story or not. Um, <laughs> Having seen the film probably 50 times, but it, it, it doesn't matter. It's just a wonderful film. It's got the same feel as it, like it's got a very genuine horror feel. Yeah. Look, like all the sets and everything. Because with this, that was one of the things I loved. Uh, 
that that sweeping open up to the castle mm. uh, mm. green wipes and everything have just got that really early horror as well as we said before with the kind of film stock feel and everything yeah absolutely feels genuine but then they've got that really daft slapstick comedy um that as you say isn't isn't over the top and isn't in every scene yeah but they just drop it in enough that it's it's just but it's brilliantly written is is the thing i think the comedy really works with the and it's the little lines as well mm. like you mm. say the fantastic knockers and the one that made me absolutely roar out loud this time watching it again um was at the end when it's all reconciled and everyone's happy and he accidentally mm. pulls the hand off of the off of the sergeant with a wooden arm and he shouts to the lumber yard and they all run yeah. <laughs> for some reason that just absolutely nailed me it's just ridiculous but it kind of still works with that look and feel and i don't quite know how they managed it yeah mm, see i found it less funny this time round. oh really definitely oh you wish for yeah, care. i know <laughs> and actually you mentioning haunted honeymoon i definitely found that funnier like that was hilarious thinking back to it Whereas this, maybe I expected this to be funnier than it was. Or I was thinking, I mean, humour obviously does date. So yeah, jokes like knockers, like, is it a bit old hat now? Because no one really uses the term anymore. I don't know, it just, maybe it's not clever enough now because comedy has moved on. You know. I, I agree. I don't think if it came out now, it would work as well. But I not think... Not at all. No. But I, I, I still find it funny because I grew up in that era of those type of... What, yeah, no, that's what, it. About, what about enormous Schwarzen sticker? Uh, yeah. yeah. Schwarzen <laughs> There you go. Yeah. Don't know. Yeah. Now, is that, it is an older style of comedy. You, you know, the film's 1974. It's made before any yeah, of us yeah, were no, born. Exactly. Oh, you know, um... can, I, can I just also uh, offer the vouch for the comment that I do still use the term knockers? <laughs> uh, because because sometimes you know it's just nice to keep a, a wide vocabulary going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, as far as casting, I think Marty Feldman was an interesting choice. I mean, okay. he's... are his eyes like that? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I kept wanting to ask Lee throughout, but I was like, "No, don't be silly. He'll just laugh at me." And I kept yeah, thinking, no. work it out in a minute. <laughs> That's what he's a comedy genius, and he used mm. his unusual look yes. to, mm. to its utmost. Yeah, um, he does. yeah. I that. <laughs> yeah. and uh, to have him in a, a Hollywood movie like this, where he's a, a very British kind of TV, okay. um, yeah, yeah, okay. that sort of right. style. So to drop him into this film, but I, he did a fantastic performance, and he, oh, yeah, he no, still film for yeah, me, yeah. without a doubt. I think because also like I mean, the, but yeah, Marty, that was um, that was genuinely that's how he looks. Mm. Um, but I mean, he was like he went he was with um, like sort of some of the Pythons at the very start of their careers, and he worked with Spike Milligan. He had his own shows on TV, like his own weird sketch shows and everything. So he was quite as a telly star, he was pretty big, mm. and. Um, mm. But he, um, uh, yeah, he's, uh, yeah, what was it? He was, uh, uh, he was in at last the 1948 show, which was Graham Chapman, Tim Brooke Taylor, and John Cleese, yeah, which was like a sketch show prior to, um, 
prior to Python. And actually, weirdly enough, he, he, he started out and he was originally a writer. Um, and it, I think it was David Frost who used to, not, not as we knew him later on as the boring old fuck, yeah. but he, he used to have his own, he used to have his own comedy show, essentially nicked, uh, nicking Peter Cook's routines. Uh, but yeah, and he had the two Ronnies on there and he had John Cleese and stuff like that. But he had Marty Feldman on there and Marty Feldman was relegated to the back room because um, uh, David Frost, in a, a long lineage of being an unpleasant little turd, was like, oh, well, no, we can't put him on the telly. He's far too ugly. We couldn't have that on the TV. You know, that's far too shocking for viewers. Yeah. And, and basically the rest of them rebelled and were like, he's the funniest fucking performer yeah. we've got here. He's incredible. He's you know, <laughs> timing is absolutely second. Putting him next to somebody like you were saying, Chris, um, with Gene Wilder, mm. comedy timing. He's got yeah. that. he always just lets everything linger that bit longer than anyone else, and somehow that just makes it funnier. Yeah, and Marty Feldman is the opposite. He kind of almost jumps on top of his own joke mm. and has the exact opposite style. Um, yeah, to exactly the same effect. You kind of expect someone to do something, wait for the laugh, and then deliver the line. Whereas he kind of chokes his own his own jokes with stuff in a yeah in a, a really a really clever way. Yeah, and then yeah. together it just works. It works, and actually, I mean, a lot of a lot of the sort of some of the best stuff in the film was improvised. But mm. one of the things about one of the things that was purely came from Marty Feldman pissballing about was. He was moving his hump without telling anyone. Oh, wow. <laughs> and then that became mm -hmm. part of the film. But apparently he'd been doing it for like about three weeks before anyone noticed. Uh, and then it was, he, he sort of owned up and just said, yeah, I've been doing it. <laughs> just for his own amusement. And, uh, <laughs> but he, he worked again with... Um, Gene Wilder did a, a pretty good comedy film, like again, written and directed by him, called... The uh, Adventure of Sherlock Holmes's Smarter Brother, <laughs> and it's and it's Marty Feldman and Madeline Kahn, oh, in it, and that that's that's really that's a really good um, another good example of a, a good Gene Wilder film as well. Excuse mm. me, I'm just bringing up a chicken kebab. I'll try not to, <laughs> but. Um, but yeah, but like, I, I know what you mean because this was again. This was something me and Claire watched it. We watched it yesterday. Incidentally, yesterday was Gene Wilder's birthday. Oh, that was so, yeah. Weird, you know. Yeah. There are no coincidences, but sometimes Spooky. the pattern is more obvious. <laughs> um, but we and um, we were sort of saying the weird thing is, is you've got as, as a film, and it shouldn't it shouldn't work quite as well. But you do have such a variance in style. Gene Wilder, like you say, is very naturalistic. He's, he doesn't break character. He remains mm. within the thing. You've got Marty Feldman essentially just talking to the audience with yeah. like sort of English working class life uh, wisecracks and stuff. Mm. And then you've got the police inspector, <laughs> which, which is beyond over the top. Mm. And we both decided that yes, the accent was clearly was clearly designed in the sense of 
how can I make everyone else laugh and ruin this shot because it's out of hand and that shouldn't work together, but it's, but it rank, you know, somehow it does coalesce correctly. Yeah. That you've got, you know, and actually weirdly enough, I suppose it's sort of, you've got every, everyone else to a certain, to a greater or lesser extent is sort of, weird or over the top or very sort of like pronounced but then Gene Wilder and a lot of the background characters like the sort of background characters like sort of villagers and things like that are all completely straight yeah Mm -hmm. and yeah somehow that sort of that keep that keeps it together really well it was weird Um, one of them was quite cockney one of them has quite a clipped British accent when all the villagers were together. And I was like, what? And then you've got yeah, the that... police chief comes in with a full on. <laughs> <laughs> and you go, oh, that's why they did it, yeah. You can hear the tiny footsteps. <laughs> what? Footsteps, footsteps. Footsteps, footsteps. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but, but again, that's what you, you do get that with a universal film. You get some. You get one actor who's obviously on a better pay grade because they've got a better, you know, they've got an actual character. Yeah. So they'll they'll be giving it their full like Teutonic lord, <laughs> and then the rest of them are sort of like a mixture of just sort of like background artists and this one and that one. Oh, and I found out today the student who gets up and bugs him at the very start of it. You know the Any one who keeps Goldman. Yes, uh, he is the voice of Brainy Smurf. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And it was like, and just one of those ones where you're just like, you know, I've, I haven't watched the Smurfs for probably 30 odd years, but still I was immediately, yes, it is. That is the voice of Brainy Smurf. I can hear it. Oh, weird. Yeah, that is his big credit on IMDb is the Smurfs. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> in fairness, that is pretty much, the, that, was, that was where I got impressed and stopped. So... Um. Uh, so Peter Boyle as well as, as the monster. Um, I've seen him a couple of times. Uh, as I say Red Heat is kind of the memorable one, and everybody loves Raymond, which yeah, he's the dad in that, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, which is a terrible. But it, him playing the monster in this, when he's doing putting on the Ritz, is just that was the funniest bit of it. I did like that. Yeah, again, <laughs> I have to put, and I normally hate musical numbers in a <laughs> film, but that was. And the thing is, it's the same joke over and over again. And I laughed at it out loud every single time because it just nailed me. <laughs> Again, this is like this is just the weird sort of how the movie fit together. Apparently, they didn't know what the monster was going to do. They were just like, right, we'll we'll film this bit and we'll try and work something out. <laughs> and that was ju- and that was just Peter Boyle just did. Mm-hmm. And they were like, right, that's it. That's that's the one we're going with, and that's where the whole the whole thing came from. But I mean, he's in um, he's in Taxi Driver, basically playing this. The he plays a part of Wizard, who is essentially the exact same character who's in the Joker, who sells him the gun. And in Taxi oh, right. Driver, he first sells him. He first gives him his gun. So it's like, yeah, um, he actually the first time last week. All oh, right, yeah. And he's in uh, Where the Buffalo Roam, which is the first uh, Hunter S. Thompson, Thompson adaption. We did watch that with Bill Murray. Yeah, with yeah. Bill Murray. Is, and he is yes, he essentially was. Dr. Gonzo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I've forgotten he was in it. Yeah, he was. He's great in that. He was also, he, I think he actually won an award for, he was Clyde Bruckman in an episode of The X-Files, which was called Clyde Bruckman's Final Repose, Mm. which was about a guy who could see the future. And that was like, and that was just one of those ones where someone like turns up and like, yeah, no, this is a bit of a cut above. You know, you, you, you'll get, you'll get any number of good actors in stuff. And then suddenly someone comes in and they're like, no, that's a fucking actor. That's that's, that's someone doing something properly. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, but I think, yeah, he, considering that it isn't a particular until the very end because that's the thing as well is you couldn't you need someone who can then do the verbose um sort of climax bit where he's uh, addressing the crowd yeah and calming them down and everything else like that so you need someone who can do that as well as just be a hulking brute yeah essentially which again you could have done with Karloff you know, he yeah. could have, Karloff could have pulled that off, uh, which is, pull it off with Karloff, which is uh, just no, a TV no. series. It is now. <laughs> it certainly is now, mate. That's how we are. Yes, what was the other thing? The, uh, I didn't know this, Mel Brooks, the, one of the few people who's won an Oscar, an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony. Mm, really? Mm. Nice. Yeah. Uh, for the various sort of like adaptions and everything, and I think it was the, the Grammy. I think was for the two thousand year old man, the thing he used to do with Carl Reiner, uh, which he also did in The Simpsons. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I'd like to actually address as well the two female characters in this. Who uh, there were three. I was going to say there's three. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one of them, yeah, Terry Gar. Uh, despite the fact I am sitting next to my wife, I do think it is worth <laughs> pointing out is one of the most attractive women to have ever worked in Hollywood. There's no two ways about that. Um, what did you say she was in? Uh, so she is also um, uh, Richard Dreyfuss's wife in Close Encounters. The third oh, time, right, yes. uh, and I think that's the only thing I've ever yeah. seen her in apart from this. Um, you might have some more. But yeah, really, really good um, in a comedy role. I don't, as I say, the only other thing I've seen her in was serious. So I don't know how, how much comedy stuff she did apart from this. She she is pre- she is pretty good. She does she did do a lot of comedy stuff. She's in Dumb and Dumber. She's in Tootsie. Uh, she's in After Hours, which I don't know if you've ever seen, but it's a Martin Scorsese movie starring Griffin Dunn from uh, American Werewolf. Okay, and it's basically. It's described. It was described as one of the first yuppie in peril movies, <laughs> and it's like from the early nineties. And basically, this posh bloke gets stuck in New York in the middle of the night, and encounters varying levels of weird people and stuff like that. She's in that. She's very good in that. Um, but you've got obviously, yeah, you've got her. You've got Madeline Kahn, who just is just brilliant. Yeah, in everything she does, and. Uh, obviously, Clue for you, Lee. I was going to say, yeah, the other yeah, thing no. I know her from obviously is in Clue, where she's Mrs. Peacock, and she's absolutely outstanding in that role. Um, but obviously, she's in Blazing Saddles and High Anxiety and um, History of the World Part One for Mel Brooks. Uh, she's in Yellow. I forgot. I also forgot she's in Yellowbeard, which was the film which has got her and uh, Peter Boyle's in it and Marty Feldman. It was Marty Feldman's last role. Um, 
and uh, uh, he actually died while they were making it. Mm. Um, yeah, Graham, Ch- it's, uh, Graham Chapman uh, oh. stars as Yellowbeard. You brought this round one day when we were having one of our movie marathons and we watched like six films in a day. Yeah. We were on one of those and we watched it and it's the only time I've ever seen it. But yeah, I remember really enjoying it. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, and there's quite a, quite a lot of crossover of cast on that. Um, so, but and then, uh, I mean, uh, you know, this is something that Claire pointed out is when usually you watch something and the women will be either straight roles or like the straight man mm. around the comedy, whereas this you've actually got three genuinely funny within their own right female characters. Yeah. So you've got Inga and Elizabeth and obviously Flau Blucher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I've not seen her in anything else, but she was absolutely outstanding as well. Was, uh, although it's only a smaller role, she was fantastic. Uh, who, who, sorry? What, uh, uh, the woman who played Frau Blucher. <laughs> uh, Cloris Leachman. <laughs> she, right, she is, I mean, obviously quite a number of people, I think, um, uh, you know, uh, Peter Boyle's obviously still around, Terry Gar's still around, but, you know, quite a few people in this film have died. Hmm. Uh, you know, we lost Gene Wilder a little while back. Um, uh, I think Madeleine Kahn died quite a few years ago now. Hmm. Uh, Marty Feldman died while he was making Yellowbeard. Apparently this was, uh, Mel Brooks said that that was no surprise because he said that Marty Feldman was a vegetarian but he also used to have a lighter chained around his neck and would eat like a dozen eggs at a sitting and chain smoke like 60 cigarettes a day. So it was like, I had no surprise that he was going to die of a massive heart attack at some point. How many of the eggs that kill was it, not cigarettes? I'm was, sure. exactly, was he vegetarian yes. because he actually couldn't eat meat because he had something that... No, no, I think it was just, I think he was quite, he was sort of like quite... Um, uh, you know, sort of one of the sort of sixties. Uh, not hippie is the wrong term, but you know what it was like. Mm. Sort of, there were so many alternative lifestyles coming out, and I think he was okay. sort of like he just that was one of the ones that he found mm-hmm. that he sort of stuck with or anything. But um, but yeah, Cloris Leachman is still acting. She's ninety four. Mm. She's got like I think she's got like three or four films in production at the moment. Yeah, two hundred and eighty-eight uh, credits on IMDb. Yeah. That is yeah. crazy shit. It is unbelievable. She she appeared at the age of eighty-two on Dancing with the Stars, which is the American version of Strictly Come Dancing. What? Uh, and came seventh. Wow. And she applied for her own role in um when they put uh, Young Frankenstein on Broadway. Mm. And Mel Brooks refused and basically said, uh, and basically just said, well, I mean, I don't want her up there because you could just die, couldn't she? She could just drop dead in the middle of the thing. But then she did Dancing in the Stars and he like apologised to her <laughs> and said, do you want to come and do the role? But the, the show had closed by the time it was, the contract was up where whoever was playing uh, Frau Blucher um, sort of, you know, but she, yeah, she, she even sort of like tried to get the role again. She's in... She's Nurse Diesel, like the main villain in High Anxiety, and she is fucking brilliant in that. She really, really is. And um, but she was in like she did a lot of TV. She's like um, 
but she's done voice work for Phineas and Fur, Beavis and Butter Do America, The Iron Giant. <laughs> she was the granny in the 90s film version of the Beverly Hillbillies. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, yeah, American Gods, The Office, Love Boat, Malcolm in the Middle, One Step Beyond, Lassie. She just like, she's been in so much stuff. She was in, uh, Mel Brooks did a, a uh, what's it called? A sitcom called The Nut House. And she was like one of the main characters in that as well. Um, also, and this is like, this was kind of new to, news to me because I've never seen this version of it. She's in, she's in the Twilight Zone episode, like the original Twilight Zone episode, It's a Good Life, which is the one, even if you've not seen it, you'll have seen the Simpsons uh, version of it, uh, where there is the kid who can control everyone with their mind. Yes. Yeah, and there's like there's a treehouse of horror with Bart doing yeah, it. Isn't yeah, there? yeah, and um, yeah, she was she was in that episode, and then they did a, I think it was two thousand and two, two thousand and three. They did another Twilight Zone reboot. So somewhere between the eighties version and the Jordan Peele version, they also did another version of the Twilight Zone, and they actually reprised that story, and she came back and played the same character in that which must be which must be fairly unusual i think because i think actually the guy the guy who played the kid in the original version also came back and played him as an adult and basically from what i gather the plot is he has a kid who also has the same power so it changes the game because up until that point you know obviously he's just run the place as his own little sort of pocket universe. And takes over. Yeah. I think, it's a, I think it's a daughter. But it's sort of, yeah, they... they um, but I just, again, it's just sort of like an extraordinary um, amount that she's sort of done and still doing. And, uh, yeah, not, she's... You know, gardening or anything else, does she? Or knitting. She's just no. like straight on. She's in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Yeah. So's um uh, so's no no I, I was going to say so's Gene Wilder but no he's in Bonnie and Clyde I'm getting getting me hands mixed up there yeah the, that is an incredible resume oh man um, and not only that but also I mean apparently she did her own makeup for this oh really <laughs> yeah and but but obviously she's she's really channeling uh, Una O'Connor the old girl from. Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. Oh, it's the it's very much the same look. Um, and, but actually, this is something that shocked the shit out of me. Well, not quite, not not literally. I mean, that would have been weird. But yeah, comparing like like I say, Cloris Leachman, two hundred eighty eight credits, probably two hundred eighty nine by the time this comes out. Um, <laughs> do you know how many credits Gene Wilder's got on IMDb? No, thirty seven. Really? And you kind of assume that he's been in so... I think maybe it's just 37 good films, maybe. Yeah. 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 Memorable. Because, I mean, obviously, obviously Willy Wonka, Mm. uh, obviously the stuff that, like, producers and Blazing Saddles, and he did... um, I was going to say, like, in in Willy Wonka, he definitely did a good job of making it scarier. Especially because because he was nice, mm. but then could have that really weird, eerie oh, yeah. look to him. So in the tunnel, yeah, and just generally, per- it's like 
don't trust adults. <laughs> he he is absolutely perfect in that, and I think mm. that is again. I mean, I know. Let's face it; we're always we're always banging on about it as a horror podcast, not to do remakes. But again, what the fuck were you thinking, Tim Burton? Oh, yeah, you know. Oh, why doesn't Johnny Depp dress up as Michael Jackson? Yeah, and we'll we'll remake a perfectly good film. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the sodding point? And obviously, like he did, like four films with Richard Pryor. Mm. I mean, that's another one, Chris. Stir crazy. Yeah, that's, that's where they go into the prison. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. With yeah. the uh, with the guy who later becomes an opera who the opera singing killer from uh, Running Man, but oh, that's right. neither here nor there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, he yeah, I mean he's yeah. It's, it was just such a shocker when I was like, really, yeah. thirty-seven credits is just nothing. I mean, he did he did a lot of stage work. I mean, a lot of the uh, mm. a lot of the actors in this did, but. Still, you know, it's it's a very sort of like it's a small but very very concentrated body of work. Mm. He got paid well for his roles, so he didn't have to do quite so many. <laughs> I I think even if he wasn't being paid well, I think he was just very. Particular? I think he very particular, mm. and I think also, I mean, one of the things that I thought was, uh, I can't even remember what it was, but it was some. I read something where he was sort of like saying about how he hadn't accepted a role because he was very conscious of it coming after uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Mm. And he was like, and I didn't want to like, I didn't want to let people down who'd enjoyed that mm. by playing this other character. And it was like, something, you know, I don't know whether it was a murderer or something, some, you know, something that obviously he thought would be distasteful Children watching yeah. Perhaps, yeah. to have. Yeah. So, so I that think, was actually you know, seeing Stir Crazy after seeing Willy Wonka was a little bit of a, the first time it's like, Oh, I feel like, you know, we're I'm not in Kansas anymore, anymore, are we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think actually, and, and a film that, cause he's obviously the producers is brilliant. Um, but yes. in the producers, obviously, he's with Zero Mostel, and he did a film called Rhinoceros that I checked out, in which basically the population are turning into rhinoceroses, <laughs> um, and that's quite that's quite a good weird film. No one turns into a rhinoceros physically, though, so just people just, just mentally act as rhinoceroses, <laughs> and it's very good. Speak, speaking of which, Marty Feldman is in one of my favourite uh, comedy films of all time, which is The Bed Sitting Room in which various people turn into various things, including the main character who turns into a bed sitting room. So. I think that was the one we watched on the same day as uh, Yellowbeard, quite possibly. We must have been having a Pete and Dud one or something. <laughs> Did we watch Bedazzled as yeah. well? And... I think you were having a Pete and Dud one. So I was like, yes. let's watch a bunch of films and you fed <laughs> up with a load of Pete and Dud movies. So I was like, well... Can't go wrong with that, really. Yeah. Nah, I mean you can go very wrong in other. It depends on the Pete and Dub movies that you pick. So, and the people who are watching them as well, it's very easy to go awry with that material. Yes, no, very true, very true. And I never realised that Inspector Kemp in this is the guy from. He's the guy from the producers. He's the guy who writes Springtime for Hitler. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, oh, and I forgot to tell you, Claire. He's the voice of Triton in The Little Mermaid. Oh, is he? Yes. Oh. And, uh, yeah, 
when we come to Gene Hackman as the blind man, we were watching it. Claire said to me, what's he been in? And I was like, it's Gene Hackman. <laughs> He's Lex Luthor. He's Popeye Doyle. Uh, you know, I was, going through, I was going through the whole list. Claire had a look at IMDb and she went, Ants. That's where I know him from. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, Ants is... Yeah, that sounds like a Jennifer statement. Aww. Well, also, he hasn't been in... Uh, he hasn't been in Wayne's World 2, which is the, which is Claire's, <laughs> Claire's year zero of cinema, which, does me, which actually does mean that I've really got to show her Big Trouble in Little China soon. <gasps> yeah. Has she not seen it yet? She's not seen it yet. Everyone loves that movie. Oh, there we go. You know what? Yeah, Jennifer just said everyone loves that movie. Yeah, it's nothing not to love, really. No. We visit it as a podcast, but with Claire as well. And just yes. We watch it again. Yeah. It's yeah, why yeah. not? Because you could watch it and film her commentary and then you could add it in. <laughs> we could have a drunken movie yeah, yeah, and yeah, just yeah, have yeah. her feedback for the entire, well, he doesn't look for it. Well, what's he doing that for? Oh, for uh, Christ's sake, who's he trying to impress? Yeah, I could definitely go for a commentary from uh, from Claire on that movie. Yeah. Well, Claire came, Claire came up with a very good idea, which was uh, she thought it might be an interesting quiz for everyone. What did Claire recognise someone from? <laughs> and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll be honest I thought well we can't really start with this one because if anyone had guessed ants I'd be so fucking yeah, <laughs> weirded out about that. Little Mermaid I might have uh, <laughs> anything Disney <laughs> but Claire did Claire did have a, 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 a relevant ask welcome to horror she, she, I think she, she was she was sort of uh, she was planning to join us because young Frankenstein is one of her real favourites oh. uh, but uh, but it, uh, I think it has been a somewhat trying day. Oh, uh, and uh, yes, um, it's Friday. It's sitting indoors all day. What's trying? <laughs> oh, um, a two-year-old. Yeah. yeah. No, no, Very trying. Garden. Close the doors. <laughs> you sit inside. It's not rainy. You'd be fine. Well, well, I I said, look, we've got matches. We've got paper. <laughs> <laughs> You know, he can amuse himself, but <laughs> apparently, yeah. apparently that's not the dumb thing. But Claire did say, do you think that if they'd have gone the route of doing this in colour, hmm. would it have been as good and would it have been as successful? Mm. Or because I mean, to 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 me, I f I think that the black and white is really integral to give you that universal, like mm. to make it to give you the idea of which what it's spoofing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. In a weird way, but obviously, I mean, like they'd just done Blazing Saddles, so you know, it wasn't it, was, it wouldn't have been unusual to do it as a color film or whatever like that. No, yeah. they couldn't afford it by then. They'd used up. <laughs> You know, they were like, well... <laughs> yeah. There I, is a... Go on, I was, I was just going to say, there is a film called If by Lindsay Anderson, which does have black and white sequences in it because they run out of money for colour stock. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, like, and lots of people were like, well, Lindsay Anderson's a genius. I mean, he put those bits uh, in black and white. <laughs> and then he told them afterwards, well, actually, we just run out of money. Mm -hmm. well, um, the critics would be fooled. Yeah, I, I think the, the black and white is integral to this, to giving it that... I mean, although something like Carry On Screaming has still got that very gothic feel, I think mm. for this, because it's going so... Because so it wasn't full-on comedy. Yeah. I th yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I really liked the black and white. Is it, and the yeah. fact got the the the, uh, the grade and everything so perfect to the mm. original, you know, like the the color palette on it is well, it's not a color palette. It's, it's, it's the gray scale. <laughs> the gray scale. So perfect to the original. Um, yeah, I, I think it just it, it, it is the, the finishing touch to this movie. So yeah. If anything, I think doing it in the black and white has possibly made it age better as well. Yeah, it sort of takes it out of time, definitely. Yeah, you mm. can't you can't sit there and go, you know, you can't necessarily pinpoint when it was made. Mm. No, I was I've read a I can't remember where it was now, but I read a very interesting thing a while back where they said about, especially when it was like the penchant was going on for grindhouse stuff, like sort of Rob Zombie and uh, the actual grindhouse double bill and stuff like that where everyone is trying to make things look as if they were made at a certain period of time. Mm-hmm. And they said in the future, would you, you know, would you have film historians going through stuff and going, Oh, there's been a cock up here. This should be in, this is clearly from the seventies. It shouldn't be in 2006 or whatever. I'm paintings and they go, Oh no, we've worked out that particular pigment didn't exist in the, uh-huh. yeah. Therefore, it must have actually been a copy, and yeah, all the rest of it. Well, yeah. what was the, what was the one that swept the? I think, oh, that was that was it because they were talking about as well. That was it. The artist, the silent comedy that swept the Oscars a few years oh, back, yeah. possibly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And again, they were like sort of people would assume, oh, this must be from the nineteen thirties. Yeah, when it, yeah. you know, when it, it was actually made yeah. sort of ten years ago or whatever it was. But yeah, I do think it 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 does divorce it from its time hmm. um, successfully. Hmm. The, the, and all the electrical equipment was the original Frankenstein electrical equipment. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Mel Brooks found the guy who... Um, I, did, I did jot his name down because I felt this was important. Uh, where is it? Ken Strickfadden. That's my handwriting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Smith, Ken Smith. Yeah, him, he, uh, the geezer. What he done it? Yeah. Uh, no, he. Uh, the reason I, I was looking to say his name was apparently uh, Mel Brooks rented the stuff off him because he built it all for Frankenstein. Then he just kept it in his garage <laughs> for however many years, and then sort of Mel Brooks met him and said, "Oh yeah, we'll rent it off you, but you'll actually get a screen credit because he never got one on oh, the original mm. Frankenstein." Really? That's funny. Yeah. God. And well, we don't even so. know his name. Isn't that awful? No, I know it's I'm bad. That to him. Sure, it's uh, it's my piss poor handwriting here. Oh. This is this is why I need to get this is why I need to get I mean, printer cartridges. Just say it like the monster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ken Strickland. <laughs> <laughs> are, are you enjoying that dessert? <laughs> <laughs> well the credits used to be at the beginning didn't they which they did in this movie as well which I mm. quite like I skipped through but <laughs> I quite like that they did keep that style of so of course they kept mm. it short because you didn't want to keep people waiting it's not like a Marvel film where you've got 17 minutes of credits at the end of a film <laughs> they've got yeah. at the end to make you watch it <laughs> yeah so they used to put them on at the very beginning before the film happened but yeah so they used to keep them short so people weren't waiting too long before the before the film, so they were a much and there were less people, version. Be less technical stuff to be well, yeah, I, th- I think it was also just that there wasn't nothing had been unionised about what was 
considered a create like a necessary credit. Yeah. You know, it's much the same as, you know, whether sort of supporting artists or extras get get credited and they don't. And I think it's you know, I think as things got more sort of unionized and uh, looked oh, into yeah. pretty yeah, everything after Minfinite. <laughs> 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 um, everything sort of yeah, you, you, you every everyone was being credited you know, when it when it would just be like the head of the department, you might get a makeup credit or a costume credit, but not everyone who actually worked on it. It would just be, well, he told everyone what to do. So yeah. much much in the same way as the workforce still retains to this day. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> One person gets the credit for the four hundred people who are actually doing the shit. <laughs> so. And on that depressing note... Uh, that is satire, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> we shall call it a night. Um, we shall reconvene in eight days now uh, for uh, Dude Bro Party Massacre 3. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that there isn't a one and two. There are not a one and two, no. Uh, one, the, the stories of one and two are covered in the first three minutes of Dubro Pike Massacre 3. So, uh, okay. The state of the story writing and the... Uh... It's, I'm really hoping it's not one of those ones where it should be... Like, you know, not one of those movies that you really enjoy, like A Guilty Secret, that you should just watch on your own <laughs> and just go, this is dog shit, but I love it and I'm not going to tell anyone I'm watching it. I hope it's not going to turn out to be one of those. But as I say, if, if I had to marry it with another film, it would be Big Money Hustlers, which Adam and I have watched yep. together on numerous occasions. And, and to be fair, not since we've grown up. So yeah. I don't quite know. Not since, not since, well, not since we've grown up slightly further. But that's not yeah. to say that we won't. That's true. We were in our 20s at that point. So it's not mm. like it's something we shared as kids. But yeah, I, think, I, I think the best way of describing it is the line from... Vic and Bob's House of Fools, where it's like, I can change. No, you can't. You are fully realised. <laughs> I think we were fully realised when we were watching that, mate. Yeah. So. I think it's true. Uh, yeah, so, ha so have that head on, Adam, when you watch the, the movie. Um, okay. And I don't know if Chris is going to like it, but we'll see. <laughs> well, like I say, the whole po that's the whole point. The myriad films that you can have. What's uh -huh. that? Mm. Yes, I know. Um, but, um, yeah, I think you've got... We've got to show Chris some shit or stuff that he'd regard as shit. We've still got to do Killjoy 2 one day just to prove to everyone that it exists and it's awful. Yes. <laughs> I, I've not seen any of the Killjoy movies, uh, despite the fact I'm a big fan of, the, of uh, Full Moon in general. Mm. I know I have seen some of their real turd out books, so um, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely go for that. Excellent. Right. So thanks very much. Thanks very much, everyone, for listening. Uh, join us next week for Do Bray Party Massacre 3. Don't forget to send us your hashtag Ask Welcome to Horror questions. Uh, and we will see you next week. Night. 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 <laughs>